Life is a tragedy when seen in close-up, but a comedy in long shot. Charlie Chaplin. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is the forest. The other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a silver linings playcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast. I'm your host, Jamie Ward, and as far as I know, this is the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. What a week it's been, and kind of crazy right now, because we are recording on a Thursday. What do you know? What do you know? It's almost like it was originally a Wednesday podcast recorded on a Thursday a week ahead for the next Thursday. Anyway, so glad (laughs) to be here. Wow. What a streak we have been on with having actual episodes and this week is a very special special episode so special in fact uh because this is the 100th episode of the silver linings playcast and this is part 37 of our special 100 parter 100th episode thought it was appropriate to start off with a quote from charlie chaplin even though it's kind of not appropriate because wasn't he a silent film star so maybe he was saying wise things all the time and we just didn't even know uh, because we couldn't hear him. He was silent. What a what a week it's been. What a couple weeks it's been. And I'm actually excited. I just got back from improv rehearsal and it's going well. I'm really glad I joined. I, it's been uh, nerve wracking and I almost quit a couple times, but it's been it's been good. It's good for me uh, branching out in comedy and and I'm really excited because I've been getting back into comedy here in Lafayette. I've been really getting into my scene and learning a lot and making a lot of inroads and building relationships. It's been a lot of fun. I had not done any uh, comedy basically on a regular basis for, not regularly, for the last couple of years. And I just started like actually making regular appearances one or two times a week at the open mics, trying to hit at least one of the open mics once a week. And this is the... Um, Sort of the first time that I have made any regular appearance. And what do you know? It just takes it takes showing up regularly to get in to meeting all the people and getting started to, to know them. It was a lot of fun. I, I think I talked about the uh, 51st Jokes last week, which is a show that is run nationally. Cities all across the country have 51st Jokes, which is the first joke. Uh, it's, it's a show that usually has 50 comedians doing the first joke that they have written for the new year. And so it's a lot of fun. It's a rapid fire show. And I've been, I've just been glad that I've been sort of making inroads with the guys that are bookers here. Um, not necessarily guys, uh, all sorts of comics. Um, but the, the bookers starting to, to win their respect enough and I don't like it's not I don't want to make this sound like I'm talking about myself like oh I got I'm winning their respect uh, I, I simply mean that I'm becoming a member of the community and it feels really good like I show up and people are um you know some of them are like they, they know I'm there you know I'm not a first timer even though I'm not sure if they think I'm a first timer or not because I do a lot of weird stuff at the mics they always seem to have this um well I don't know okay so so I like the scene here a lot. They are very responsible in their approach to comedy. They're doing a great thing. People are showing up and they're practicing their material. There are so few people that actually get on stage and don't know what they want to talk about because these comics are 
practicing their material. They are doing the stuff that they have been working on and they are not afraid to keep doing those same short sets. And I've been blown away in the quality of a lot of these comics too. Just overall, if I was giving like my average assessment, because I think these comics are using their time. They are comics much like some of my favorite uh, outside of the big city of the state communities that I've run into. Like I was a big fan of the Chattanooga comedy scene um, with Nashville probably being the biggest city in Tennessee, the one that's sort of known for, oh, and Nashville has a fantastic comedy scene, or at least they did last time I, I was there. And they've had some really big names that have started to come out of there. Um, one who is coming to Lafayette this weekend. I think, I believe Dusty Slay is at Club 337 this weekend. But um, yeah, uh, I love the, like I loved being in Atlanta and that definitely gave me a great start. But um, the big city often, here's, here's my comedy theory, right? Often the main big city, which has the biggest population in a state, draws so many people that they, they get excited and then lots of people start lots of shows and then comics have sort of too much opportunity to perform. And when I say that, that doesn't sound like a bad thing at first, right? But what I'm referring to is the fact that the, the main comics that will start really being the heart of the comedy scene, the regulars, the ones that have acts and that can feature and headline, uh, when, when they are in a city that has too much opportunity, they start taking those opportunities for granted. So the quality of the mic is, is never like good enough to make people want to see the mic as a show. Now, I can break that down for you a little bit more. When you have, um, this is not a knock against Atlanta, because uh, Atlanta is great and Atlanta, Atlanta has great shows, and I haven't actually performed there in several years, so I don't know what it's like, but I can tell you what I saw. When I started in uh, over a decade ago, around 2009, 2010, there was a couple of mics a week, um, and we had just started to get a couple mics on the same nights. So you ran into pretty regularly the same comics, um, but there was a pool of comics enough that you could go to any one show and never know who was going to be on there because there was enough stage time that all, all the comics on one show could do one show and you could have a mic made up of completely separate comics. Now this is a good thing for a while, especially with a scene in its infancy, because uh, the amount of stage time is definitely something that is going to contribute to comics honing their craft, getting better, practicing, writing more material, getting more comfortable on stage. What starts happening though is that you need a balance, um, and, and the other half of the equation is not about the quality of the comics, but is the quality of the audience. And quality of the audience doesn't necessarily mean there's a couple different ways to look at it. The way I've often looked at it was just how many people, I, you know, I used to ask my comics that were at different shows that I was headed to, I was like, how's the audience there? And they'd be like, oh, it's pretty good. It's pretty bad. And they were always based on um, how well their set was received. That's not what I'm talking about in quality of audience because part of that falls on the comic, right? I'm just talking if there's audience there or not. Are there brand new people that have never seen your material 
before? Are there random audience members? Because ideally, what a what a comic wants, um, what I want every time I perform is I want a lot of people that are interested in comedy that haven't heard my jokes before so that I can present them to them for the first time. So what happens in a scene where you get a little oversaturated or you get too many shows for how many comics are sustainably able to do new material or how many quality comics you're, you're able to get? You start having bad open mics. And some of the things that categorize a bad open mic is when you have none of the established comics that, and, and this is this is assuming that there's a normal breakdown of, of an open mic. And I've never really made an estimate or assessment of how many good comics you need to bad comics or established comics you need to brand new comics. But I think to, to have a sustainable open mic, you really need a mix. You need, um, and let, we're just, we're just going to spitball the figure right now, but like an estimate, a half, half comics that are delivering tried and true material and half either bad or new comics. The theory behind this being that you do want, you do want the audience presented with show. You want them entertained. You want them to laugh and you want them to walk away thinking, oh man, this group of people was funny. You do want to provide a space where you can provide comics the opportunity to test new materials because not everybody's going to be good every night either. And sometimes it's fun for the audience to watch bad comedy or unfunny comedy or new comedy. And here's the other thing too. All of these comics can be good, funny, or new and have new material too sometimes. It's a very dangerous game. I did some interviews this week with some younger comics and one of them I was... You know, we got into a conversation about how it's an amazing, it's an amazing game because you never know how it's going to go. The same material that worked one night may not work another night for different comedians. And I just thought, hey, this is, this is a lot of fun. The first time I ever went on stage. Um, no, not the first. Let me, let me try to set the, the scene for this correctly. One of the first times I went to what became my home club in Atlanta for a long time, the Punchline. I went to one of their open mics very early on. This is like the first or second time that I'd ever, I'd ever even attended an open mic just to watch. I didn't have any intention of getting on stage. There was a comic on stage who, um, and I don't want to disparage this comic because I actually think they're kind of a genius and I find them super entertaining, funny, and they are very committed to their craft and they studied. I will just say that their act is very unconventional and it's not the kind of thing that most people understand. Um, not thought of widely amongst the other comics as a good comic and a lot of people would make fun of him. I think he is way better than that. I think he's, he, uh, there's just something off where he never really connected. He doesn't understand how to get that connection, but he does understand how to perform. So anyway, he was up on stage and, and I don't know who this person is. And he's performing his act, and I just hear uproarious laughter from everybody. Now, I didn't realize at the time, because I was brand new, I didn't realize that this was the other comics laughing at him. This was all the comics who thought that, like, they were, they were making fun of him. Um, but being a new comic myself, I didn't know how to hear the difference in that. I didn't know that they were the other comics 
I did just so I I la I I but I was scared. I was like, I don't understand what this guy is performing. And clearly he's getting a response from the audience that is more intense than anybody else that has performed tonight. I will never be this good. Flash forward to I've been doing comedy for a couple of years. I understand this person, I understand comedy culture, and I understand the way that shows work. Um now I you know, I would look at him and be like, it's okay, I can sidestep some of the pitfalls that this comic makes, which are some of the things that are kind of alienating to audiences. I do want to say, though, I'm going to give him all the credit in the world, uh, I will never be able to perform the way he does. He is, there's something very genuine, real, and I think hilarious. Uh, he's a great guy, and... Um, on those nights when he has hit, on those nights when audiences get it, which I'll say is few and far between, but it happens to everyone sometimes. If you, there's, there's some statistics involved in this. If you let somebody perform a certain amount of times, it doesn't matter how good or bad they are as a comic, I think. Sometimes you have an audience that just gets them in the same way that even if you're great, Sometimes you have audiences that just don't get you. And on his, his high nights, on the times when audiences get him, he has performed way better than I have at my best calculated shows. So anyway, yeah, you just never know how it's going to fall. Sometimes it's your night, and sometimes it's... It's not. And it's just one of those things. So it's, it's such an interesting art. This is exactly why I love the game. And I've been getting back into it. And it's been exciting and scary. 51st Jokes was a lot of fun for me because I got to test all new material. When I say all new material, I really wrote a joke specifically for... 51st jokes and maybe I'll play that later. It's also why I don't know what the other comics here think of me because when I go to an open mic uh, I, I'm typically trying out new material. I know I know the stuff that I I know the stuff that's already in my act. Sometimes I do it to fine tune it a little bit and this this really goes into what makes a good open mic, right? So you talk about you have these mics that have like too many people and they're, they're just all these different things. Um, so what happens basically is you get these um, mics where if you have too many, then the established comics start throwing away the opportunity to practice their sort of more, more refined material. And you have, because they know that they can catch more in a week or more in a night. That's what happened in Atlanta where you had uh, comics that were basically bouncing mic to mic in a night, uh, showing up, just doing their set, not staying for anybody else, and leaving. Now, that's actually fine, and that is something I used to do, but I didn't do that much because I actually felt always obligated to stay and support, and I was also curious about how everybody else did on shows, and... Uh, you know, I'd, be, I'd make friends and want to hang out, too. And I wasn't taking it as seriously as I, I could. 
um, what you get from an environment like that, though, is you have some people that just sort of run away from the pack and they become the elite comics that are using the time to focus on their selves and their act and they get really good uh, and then they can leave the scene. And there's really no problem with that. And that kind of thing happens in New York all the time, except they don't need to leave the New York scene because that's usually where people leave too. Now, the reason that that is not as good in other cities is you have stuff like that happen in Atlanta that is not New York. People eventually want to leave Atlanta so they can get to New York. So let's, let's step back now and examine Lafayette for a second. Um, this has just a couple open mics where most of the, like, I don't know how many comics there are in this city yet. Um, let's say there's 25 or 30. Let's say there's 15 regulars who will be doing this for at least another year or longer. And then there's 10 that will stop in the next year. There's uh, 10 that will start in the next year. And they will distribute amongst that same proportion that we have right now of people that will turn this into a hobby and or career versus people it will be a hobby and that they will stop. And then you have an initial five or ten comics made up of brand new people, one, one-offs, people that are traveling through town, uh, people that, you know, they just wanted to get up on that night when they were allowed to. And you have that all. So um, what you get from the open mics here in Lafayette is a good amount of people that want to be here, want to work on their act, have been working on their act in a disciplined way, and they make up most of the show. The other good thing about it being a little bit small at the moment, not being a Baton Rouge, not being a New Orleans, is they respect the time and they bring their A-game to the open mics um, because they don't have enough shows to throw away these ones. Now, that is wonderful. That makes it entertaining. That makes these open mics pretty high standard of comedy. And that's what I found in scenes like Chattanooga. I think... I think Chattanooga was really great, and that, that was one of my first examples of that for a similar reason. Um, there was some independent shows that were at bars and theaters, but there was like a small enough concentration that, that, that when the people got uh, an opportunity to perform, they really wanted to do their best. The reason I got a little jaded in Atlanta was because you had endless mics. Nobody cared some of them did. There was there was better ones and worse ones, but people like anybody that could find a restaurant that would let them hold a mic would hold their own mic. And then you just had all the people that were good at comedy going towards certain ones. You had all the people that couldn't get on those mics that had preferential treatment go to the other ones. And so you sort of started creating these social classes of comics. And from there, then you get resentment of people being like, oh, I can't, you know, somebody can't get on this one uh, because they play favorites there. You have these other mics that people can't really get very good at, not because 
they couldn't. I mean, I actually, I would, I would tell anybody you can get good anywhere. Don't let the quality of the mic that you're presented with define how much you can gain from the experience of being there. And that's one of the reasons I got to make progress in the ways that I did is because I, so I, I don't want to go with the thing you hear a lot of people say about like, don't ever turn down stage time. All stage time is good stage time. Um, I believe for a lot of people that is true, but that is not the way I like to look at things. The way I like to look at things is, um, what is the quality of my experience? What do I bring forward to these mics? One of my favorite mics, and it was a terrible mic in the time frame that I'm talking about. Um, it wasn't always a bad open mic, but, um, it was a lot of fun. It became, it was just a social thing. The hole in the wall open mic in Atlanta is on Mondays. And it was like, you know, it was held at a service industry bar. It was really late. It was one of the latest ones that, that happened. People could go to there after they went to open mics at other places. And that was a throwaway set for so many people, for people where that was the only place they could go up because it was a very democratic, uh, mic. Cause they would sort of let anybody who wanted to be there perform, perform. So a lot of the people that sort of looked jealously at the other mics that were more booked or pre-booked, um, and they couldn't get on, they would go to the hole in the wall because they would let anybody up. Now, there was n almost never any audience there. And so that's why people really looked at it as an inferior mic. And it was a lot, a lot of fun because the people that hang out there became regulars there. So it was really more about the, the socialness of comics hanging out with comics there. But, but usually it was just uh, one or two bartenders and the comics that were there with maybe one or two patrons that might stumble on it as an audience member, but there was almost never legitimate, uh, you know, civilian audience there. I loved that mic because I did not see it as a terrible mic like a lot of people thought about it being the worst mic. I used that opportunity to say, hey... Uh, the bartender doesn't know my jokes. I'm going to try to make them laugh. The comics don't know the material that I'm bringing this week. I'm going to try to make them laugh. Was it the most gratifying mic I've ever been to? Not at all. I don't ever remember feeling good about my set there as far as the response I got from people. But I do remember feeling great about the stuff that I got to practice. About the stuff that I got to test out. If I got... A little bit of attention if I, you know, got on a roll. Like, you have, you have to scale the experience to your expectations, right? So that means, oh, if your joke, you, you tell a joke at the hole in the wall and nobody looks at you or laughs, uh, does that mean it's a bad joke? No, it means it just wasn't the cream of the crop good enough to get the attention of all these people that weren't paying attention. It might work perfectly well at a regular show with a decent audience that's there for comedy. Now, if you did a joke that was great, 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 you might capture a little bit of the attention of the comics. You might be able to do something that is so obnoxious or loud or attention-seeking that even in this very ambivalent audience where people were just there to hang out and be there with themselves. If you did something that was so, so great that 
Maybe it got them to pause. Maybe it got them to just be silent for a second. Um, you know, that's an indicator that you're onto something, right? So even that wouldn't feel great to a comic who is expecting like a standing ovation, round of applause, uproarious laughter from everybody at a normal show. And this is where I'm saying you have to scale your expectations to your experience and likewise. I would take those little moments, and I'm not saying that I had that many, but like that's 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 why I'm saying I was able to use it, because I would look at those experiences and be like, hey, I'm here performing, and this is not a night where it's about me feeling good about my stuff. It's about me really testing this material to to say, hey, oh my goodness, it had, it attracted the attention of a bunch of people that didn't even care. That's the best case scenario that could possibly happen there. But then when I when I take that to a regular open mic that I think was was better attended, I already knew that I had this material that hey, it's sort of like it was good enough to draw a little attention, maybe one or two laughs from a group of people that weren't paying attention. Now what is it like being able to perform it in front of a bunch of people that are there for comedy and are there paying for attention? That doesn't mean it automatically killed at the next level. But what it means is that I did not give up an opportunity during the week on Mondays to throw away that set. I used it. So by the time Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or whatever the day of the week of the mic that I was going to go to, that was going to be a little more fulfilling for me personally, the feelings, um, I had already run my material one whole more time seriously than other people. And I'm not the only one that did this at that mic either. There's plenty of people. Uh, Hole in the Wall was amazing. I wonder if they still, I, I don't even know if the place still exists, but I know there was a lot of people that really tried hard. I remember um, seeing, and this is where I sort of learned who some of the best comics were in Atlanta too. And when I say best comics in Atlanta, based out of Atlanta, some of them have gone on or were nationally touring people. These are the kind of people that would show up and they would grab the attention of everyone in that bar and they would make an audience out of people that were not there to be an audience. I remember watching that and just being an absolute, uh, two, two of the names that strike me so much, um, LeVar Walker and Marvin Hunter, both, both phenomenal comics that have had national recognition and, and toured all over the place. Um, and those were, those were both guys that, had, that showed up at different times and just, they did their thing. And they, they crushed. Now the experience they had there, I remember watching and thinking, man, I would love like to have that feeling because it felt like they did well. They got everybody laughing and they got everybody's attention, but that's, that's what happens. Um, that, because they were just professionals and they were good at what they do and they also we're not afraid to go in anywhere and do what they do. So, you know, I guess, I guess it's funny that all the things I'm saying that make a, a scene good or bad too, can also be the things that make it great. Um, because in a, in a weird way, that's also the downside of being here too. Um, it doesn't have my ideal kind of mic because everybody is throwing everything they can behind their, themselves at the couple of mics we have around here. So that, uh, because I'm not perfect and I'm not, uh, this, this, you know, superstar comic that I wish even some, like some of the names I've mentioned before. Um, I don't want to throw away 
my opportunities at these mics because I know I only have two two in town ones a week, and I don't always attend both of them either. So when I go, part of it is like, hey, do do your a game material or work on something that you know is probably going to go pretty well because I don't have another opportunity later in the week to redeem myself for a whole nother week if it doesn't go the way I want. But that's okay. This is definitely a case of, of um, you know, where you're doing stuff and you make do with what you're given. Now, let me stop being selfish and talking about myself for a second. I love what everybody else is doing. I love going to these mics and I love the scene here because I like seeing the comics that really want to step up their game. They, uh, you know, there's a, there's a large percentage of them that stay inside and watch all the other comics. They know each other's material that they're working on, but also they get to the point where they don't know what every other comic is going to be saying too. And that's, uh, beautiful to see. Um, I am shooting a little bit of documentary footage about what the comedy scene is like here. And it's been really interesting and exciting. It, the first couple times that I showed up to, I had asked permission from everybody, but you know, I think it made them nervous a little bit because they're like, they don't know what, who I am totally and what I'm doing with like showing up at these things. Um, but, but as they've seen other people participating in my documentary, as they've seen other people doing interviews and seeing the kind of stuff I've been putting together, uh, you know, then they're a little more, they're showing a little more faith and like, oh, he's not here to make fun of the scene. He's here to uplift it. And so I'm excited about that. And so that sort of opens it up more to getting more perspectives too, which has been really fun and really exciting. I'm... I am super excited about all the footage that I've gotten some, so far. I've gotten some really heartfelt interviews uh, from some of the people that I've really respect and admire. And the people that I've gotten interviews that I'm not labeling in that, it's not because they're not good. I'm, I'm excited because they're either new or something. But I love, I love that the attitude, if I could almost close my eyes and point to a name on one of the open mic lists and the comics behind those names really want this and they're fighting for it and they're working for it and they are putting in the work to get better at this kind of thing. And that's awesome. That's, that's really awesome. Um, so I am now sort of looking for my own path within this scene where I would like to be a part of it. I want to be part of it in a welcomed way. I'm not here to take anything over. I'm not here to take anything from people. I just, I got into comedy because I love comedy. I got into comedy because I wanted to be a part of comedy. I wanted to talk to other comics. I love what they do. I wanted them to make me laugh. And, and I just wanted to be a person that showed up as one of them. I just wanted to get good enough myself so that when I was in a circle of comics, I was welcomed as one of them instead of a groupie audience member. And so that's what I'm sort of trying to, to balance right now too, because there's a bunch of stuff I could do in comedy. And, and I'm simply talking about the amount of time. Um, I have more material than some of these people, but I'm, but I'm sort of giving myself a do-over right now where I'm starting at the beginning. I'm pretending like I have none. I, I am reinventing myself, writing stuff from scratch. I'm taking stuff that I've worked on for years and 
going back to the beginning and open micing it in the most authentic way I can, which is scary and dangerous. And it's not fun in a sense of I'm used to doing rather well at lots of places and I'm, I'm sort of taking some risks and hopefully I will start to get on the track that I want to be soon. Um, but right now I'm just enjoying sort of being, being an open micer. And, and, and I mean that in a sense, not like these aren't steps. That's just what I am. I'm embracing it. And I love that not being obligated to do all these shows. I have like one show, one feature set, uh, on the books a month from now. And I'm looking forward to it because I miss having the longer amounts of time, but I'm really exploring this, the four minute comedy space. Um, a lot of, a lot of comics here, uh, how, you know, um, really spent, they're, they're good on time too. That's another thing I want to say. You can tell I instantly give professional points to the comics here. They're, they stick to their time. Most of them. And that is a great indicator, I think, barometer of how a comedy scene is doing. If you look at the whole thing just right up front and you see them and you're like, all these comics, they use their time and they stick to their time. And that's wonderful. And that is what they're largely doing here. Um, it will be interesting to see how the next year of the Lafayette comedy scene goes from here because they are very excited, they are hungry, and there's more comics entering the scene every week. And, and that is a good thing. There is room for everybody in comedy. The, the danger that could happen, I'm not saying it will, but the thing I see too is that the, it's, it's the double-edged sword of when you get more comedy going and you allow more people to join the comedy scene, it, it sort of depends on who, how... Many people will join that want to be a part and build into it and how many people are a part of it and want to make it stronger and how many people are into it for themselves. And I think even, even having a comedy scene that has comics that are in, into it for themselves is totally fine too. That exists in the natural habitat of arts and comedy because sometimes you have to have every now and then a couple people that get so good, they break out and they go chase the fame and fortune. They may be out in New York or LA and it's good to have those connections because that gives a little bit of credential to the whole comedy scene from the city that they came from. Uh, usually those people are not unappreciative of where they come from. Most, most of the comics, I think, always feel a strong connection to the scenes that they started with. Um, I, I don't know Mark Norman personally, but I, I have heard from some of the comics around here that all idolize him, that he used to, I, I think he was either Baton Rouge or New Orleans, but he used to come out to Lafayette to practice and get good. And he's, uh, an amazing comedian. He's definitely one of, he's not only one of my favorites before I came out here, but he's one of the favorites of the locals around here because he ha he, um, has a reference for where he built and came from. And he comes out and does uh, comedy shows for Lafayette Comedy, which is really cool. Um, he has that connection. 
uh, Sean Patton is a New Orleans comic, I think, but he's he's been in, in the same thing. He has sort of that connection both to his state, uh, but but the different scenes and and cities here, too. Um, Jen Kober uh, does a basically a monthly show at Lake Charles, where she sort of throws her own show there and has built her own fan base. But she also, you know, she's a nationally turned. She's in uh, a California comic that's on all sorts of TV shows and stuff. But she goes back to her home in Lake Charles and knows that that is sort of where she, it's the expression, cut her teeth on doing comedy in bars and places there. So scene and scene development is really interesting. And it's an interesting factor about comedy. I am, uh, like I said, I, I just got back from improv comedy practice. And the improv scene is very interesting here. I am, not only am I learning all about the improv scene and the local improv scene, but improv culture together in a way too, uh, because I, I had a unique experience with improv when I was in Atlanta. I did some, but I, I took a class and I sort of got into one specific theater where I did improv at that theater in Atlanta, but I was as much just part of that theater as it was actually as improv altogether. And what I mean by that was I, I understood how to do improv there. I was part of the troupe and I performed at that theater and I did stand-up comedy at that theater. But it was more like I was an employee and part of that theater. That theater was my tribe for a little while. I didn't understand improv in the general sense. I wouldn't, I wouldn't known the first thing about going to join another improv troupe or doing improv with a group that wasn't that theater because it was, that was the sum total of my improv experience there even though I went off eventually to work with another improv troupe. But the funny thing about that improv troupe is it was made up of almost all members that had been former members from the first troupe that I was part of because they ended up not liking the artistic director of that theater. And there's a lot of drama I could go into about that, but it's um, that important because I'm really right now just fascinated in the, in learning and observing the dynamic of a scene as it grows, and hopefully, if I am a participant at all, being a part of its growth and blossoming right now, there is just a, a, an amazing thing going on here, and I'm very excited. I think my projection is this has this is a great comedy scene in Lafayette, and it will be an incredibly strong scene within the next three years. I think it is going to be one of, there's several places that I've found that were like special spots for comedy. And there's, there's a couple of shows that I have uh, been privy to in my time. Um, Greenville, South Carolina was always a very fun, super special spot for me. The Coffee Underground. I would love to see if that's still going on because that was one of my favorite places to do comedy uh, when I was traveling just in the first time when I was, when I was still based out of Atlanta and I would take some road trips, it was like 90 minutes, two hours from where I was staying in Atlanta. Um, and even though that was really the one solid dedicated mic they had that week, they had, they had different shows. They had, um, uh, they have a club there and they had some other shows, but like that was really this special little Monday night spot where you had non-comics come 
to a coffee shop that had a bar in it to do comedy in the back room in a place that looked like a, a little church or something. They had church pews and, and there was no stage. It was just a mic and speaker system at the front. But they had a strong scene and some people have developed out of there. Columbia, South Carolina has some dedicated people that were just creating comedy and it is fantastic and it is awesome. And this place is a place that has some people that have really put in their time both as comedians but also as producers to make some really great shows. And you could say that the scene is uh, controlled or run by a couple of the main people right now, but I think they've definitely cultivated uh, a culture where you have uh, a bunch of young aspiring comics that all want to be uh, on, you know, like on um, on these shows. And so they're all trying to work their way up the ranks of these shows to to be the next. And because it's pretty democratic, I think they're doing a great job at at creating that scene, uh, this scene, this scene that's going on and going to become what I, what I predict in the next three years. Um, not saying it's not going to happen for three years. It's really good. I think, uh, if, if you look, so the main club here too, it's a pop-up club, club 337 that brings in national acts and and the guy that runs that and the guy that's been responsible for the main open mic here has really branched out to the point he is um also going to start running uh these national headliners that are a little bigger than the people he used to bring into his own club at the uh Acadiana Center for Arts which is really cool because that is a very nice that's like a theater so he's, he's going to be running club shows and theater shows the club here being the event center at a Doubletree hotel, but it is set up so nice. It definitely rivals a lot of the actual clubs that I've been to. It's got low ceilings, great lighting, seating. Uh, Katie and I went to go see Maria Bamford when she came by and it was, I think it was sold out uh, with a couple hundred people there. Um, and it was just as good as any like dedicated comedy club would ever be. So you have that kind of thing going on and they're expanding to do theater shows. Like I said, bringing in some of those national people that can, that can fill in more seats than they would in the 150 seat. Um, you know, you have uh, like that going on. So if these people want to like develop something where where you don't have to go to uh, a big city. And that's the interesting thing I think about comedy too, is sometimes it exists better outside of the big city. One of the problems I always had with going to New Orleans to try to do comedy when I was first starting to get into comedy was there was so much entertainment in New Orleans. There's so much music and stuff that you are, are competing, you know, for audience from people that came as tourists to see specific things with certain expectations. And because it's known for the food and music, that's what they're going to see. So it's hard to sell them. It, it's a little harder to sell them on this art form that the city isn't specifically known for. 
And the same thing in Nashville, I think. I, I think Nashville is, is special because they they started to develop a really good comedy scene, so it's great and it's strong now. But I also remember getting to go there a couple times when it was a little more in its fledgling you know, infant, infancy. And they struggle with, with a lot of the same things. Other people, did, I, I went to a lot of plenty empty open mics in Nashville because people go to Nashville for the music. People go to Nashville for the country music, specifically too. So anything outside of that genre really took uh, a scene of dedicated people trying to get in and build that scene into what it is today. I think that's the special thing about being two hours outside of New Orleans right now is there is plenty of great music out here, but there's also a little more openness for a mix of different arts to exist out here. Uh, you don't have it being known quite as nationally for the same things, but you have a good population size. You have some colleges out here. So people want to come out here. Uh, you have people here. You have people in school here that want to be comics. Now, all of this, I... I uh, you know, I know I normally talk about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book, and I think that's sort of one of the interesting things we could talk about. We could talk about Pat's experience. Like, you know, he was, he was, um, it, it represents how he was like on this national scale when he was working on his problems and he was in uh, an institution that was, uh, did we ever establish whether it was fictional or uh, just made up, but like, it was a real place right and he decides to go home so you have him as being part of the system it's a part of the medical community and let's let's just imagine that that's like the national comedy scene what did he need to do to actually fix himself not be part of this big national scene and it's not because some people can't excel in that way but it's because he's the kind of person that when once he went home once he started working on himself he started being like hey how can i fix my life and i think that's a great model for comedy the silver linings playbook model right we look at that and we're just like how can we in the confines of our own street our family our house our friends the people that we're recording the the diner that we go and order breakfast at like what the whole story can exist here and if you let that story happen here you know it can go on and become a national story. That movie was an award-winning movie. It, uh, it was an Academy Award-winning movie. Jennifer Lawrence won an Academy Award for Best Actress in that movie. Um, you know, the book, nationally known book, very, very lauded as a fantastic book. I think the book might have even been a better book than the movie was a movie. And I wanted to talk about... Uh, you know, David O. Russell's new movie, Amsterdam, and I, I haven't even seen it yet and heard it wasn't great. So there's no reason to focus on it not being great because we are focusing on the things that are great right now. Um, you know, Pat sort of decided to open mic his life. He had been a headliner and he went crazy as a headliner. So he became an open mic lifer. He became a guy focusing on what is his day-to-day -day problems? He started testing his own material and it didn't have to be for all his friends. It would, you know, for everybody. It was, no, I said that wrong. It was testing his material on his friends. He was testing his material on Ronnie and Veronica, his life material. 
He was testing his material on Tiffany. He was testing his material on his dad, Patrizio. He, you know, so that's part of how you get good. That's how you become a headliner of your own life is you work on your material at your life. And there's no best way to say how to, how to do that or where it needs to happen. We're all different. There's many different paths to healing and there's many different paths to becoming a comedian. You have to look at how you excel the best. And the important thing is don't always look at how do you feel the best? How do you get results the best? Sometimes it's what level is the most effective at helping you develop your skills. When I was talking about going to the hole in the wall open mic, that was not the open mic that made me feel the best about my skills. But that was the best place for me to practice how I needed to practice to learn how to play the game. Pat uh, working on his life in, you know, exercising, running, going on dates with Tiffany, going to hang out with his friend Ronnie, trying to rekindle his relationship with his dad. That is how he best became the headliner of his own life. Let's not forget going to therapy, going to see Cliff Patel, Dr. Cliff Patel. That's sort of like him being mentored by a headliner. And why is that like a headliner? Because just because someone is a therapist, that just that just means there's a lot of com, you know, comparisons between a, a therapist and a comedian. He was the known name on the door, on the practice, Cliff Patel, uh, but he was mentoring. And it's sort of like Pat was the opener for him. And they were having talks about, um, because therapists can go see therapists sometimes. So you have Cliff Patel being this guy who's like, I, you know, we don't know his story. We know there is some, some hard backstory from him, especially in the book. The book really goes into more about he's got, you know, He's an immigrant, part of an immigrant family, part of a group of, of fans at the Philadelphia Eagles games that get treated differently. Um, and so stuff like that, uh, you know, but, but in the context of the show, in therapy appointments, he's the headliner. And that's what Pat needed to learn and work on himself so that he could do that kind of thing and go on. So that's a, lot of, that's a lot of stuff to think about. But we, we brought this around to talk about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. And I'm very excited about where this goes as far as comedy, but I'm also very excited about where this goes for Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. So I just want, want you all to think about that kind of thing. Headline your own life, regardless of what, whatever your market is, whatever the size of the open mic is, because you are the headliner of your own show. You're the mentor of your own show, but also you're responsible and you have the skills to be your own show wherever you are. And I love you all for that. So thank you so much for tuning in this week. Tune in next week and every week, as long as we keep doing this for all the latest on Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, uh, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. And until next time, we will see you down the road and Excelsior. Hey.
she's kind of crazy, she's a little insane, keeping Kenny G really messes with his brain. One is divorced, the other's husband is dead, that's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a Silver Linings Playcast.